0: If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn uh, to 2 Samuel, chapter 24. And, you know, it's, it's, this is a, a passage today that we're going to kind of not go necessarily just verse by verse, but we are going to kind of stick to it as a, our script, if you will, as we move through our time today. And it's something that's always challenged me. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of David uh, uh, in this moment in his, his life. And, you know, one of the things that I really want you to remember and recall is David is called uh, out of everybody out of anything that you could be called David is called a man after God's own heart and that is I mean I don't know about you but if I ever was able to bear that that name or that title if you will or that description that would be it for me like if I could be called a man after God's own heart and I'm sure all of us sit there and like my goodness like how we realize very quickly how short we fall don't we when we, 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 we try and we do our best and we just seem to continue to fall short. And the beauty, though, of Scripture, and, and, and in David's life even, just this one person, but even in Scripture, is you really get the good, the bad, and the ugly, don't you? It's kind of like you know the chronicles of some of our families. If we were to put those public, we would be just like, no, that can't go out public. But the Bible has all that in there. And so that's one of the, the great encouragements is, and even to the, the validity of, of the Word of God, is that there is no trying to hide the ugly parts, is there? <laughs> the parts that have maybe are questionable or that are concerning, they're all there, and you see all the ugly. But the purpose of that is to see the ugly in people and in in their sin and how ugly sin is, but how great God is and how God can still accomplish His plan. He can still accomplish His will. And that no matter what the sin or, or how filthy something seems, God can make it clean, amen, through Jesus Christ. And so in 2 Samuel... We're going to kind of just work through this chapter today a little bit. And, and so right there in verse 1 is where we're going to begin. So if you have that, I invite you to, to follow along. So uh, verse 1 uh, in, in chapter 24, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And right there alone just kind of gets you <laughs> out the chute here pretty quick, right? This is kind of a common theme, it seems like, with Israel. It's probably a common theme with all of us at times, too. It's just, you know, because this Israel couldn't seem to get it right, could they? They just kept messing up. A lot of times that phrase stiff-necked people is used, you know, where they would not change. Anybody stubborn here that wants to raise their hand real high and proud? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. It's good. And, and you know, we, a lot of us can be stubborn in our own ways. But here Israel, again, is just being stubborn and God is, is just frustrated. And so it says that the anger of the Lord was, uh, was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. Again, seeming kind of an f- interesting way to maybe cast, to bring judgment or to bring something, um, his his anger, but you'll, you'll see kind of what's going on here as we go. In verse two, it says, So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of the Lord, are, 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 are sorry, the Lord, my lord the king still see it but why does my lord the king delight in this thing but the king's word prevailed against joab and the commanders of the army so joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of israel now at this point again they they go ahead and they go through all they're working their way through all the kingdom here and they're, they're doing this census right they're, they're counting how many how many people how many men are there And uh, again, the numbers are are a lot. And we're going to jump into verse 10 now. And it says, But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. So again, kind of some questions probably should be coming up. How in the world does a census constitute sinning? But we're going to unpack that a little bit. Continuing, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. And again, I know we're Blues Brothers territory, you know, on a mission from Gad. Remember that whole thing? This is not that. This is Gad, a man, a prophet, not God, okay, with an accent. So it's Gad, G-A-D. The prophet Gad, David's seer, and saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you, choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pr- pursue you? Or shall there be three days' pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor, of Aruba, Aruba, sorry, Aruna, the Jezebite. Then David spoke to the Lord, when he saw the angel who was striking the people, and said, "Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Let's play. Pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, so much for today, God. I thank you for this um, opportunity to 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 speak your word, to preach your word. God, I thank you for just every single person within the, the sound of my voice. Um, God, that your word would go forth as it promises, Lord. And God, that your word would uh, find good soil to land on. God, that our lives would be changed as a result. God, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you speak to us today uh, as you see fit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's this picture. Again, it's, it's a lot going on here. And what we're seeing here is, is really what a lot of us don't like to talk about, which is God's wrath. You know, God's wrath is not a, uh, a number one bookseller uh, these days. You know, if you want to get a, a bunch of copies out there and get your name out there, you don't really usually write on the wrath of God because people just don't want to hear about that, right? It's not really a popular t- a topic. But we have to understand that while we, we live under grace, while we live under uh, the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, it does not mean God's wrath is gone. God's wrath is still present, but we just uh, see even probably greater than that, the work of the cross. And so at times, I think we can maybe um, not notice or be aware that God's wrath is still in place. And so here we see, again, as when we talk uh, about Old Testament, a very much an Old Testament incident that happens. And so here we see God's wrath coming forth onto Israel. And so right out the chute here, uh, it says that God incites David. And this is kind of a questionable thing, right? Or it raises some questions in our mind. Like, so God you know, convinced David, or, or he incited David to do this census, right? He incited him to do this census because God is angry with Israel again, and, and God says, I want you to do this. And so God pushes David to conduct the census. And so if you're tying or connecting the dots here, in your mind, and in my mind as well, this question is, is, is how is God stirring up David to do something when fe- when finally David does, he's found guilty of doing it? I don't know if you caught that when we read through it initially. And it's kind of like it's a it's a head scratcher a little bit. So, you know, it's it's it brings some questions and I and I I'm gonna give you an answer after all of the, the studying and and looking through, you know, just everything I could find and, and praying and everything else. The answer is, we just don't know. <laughs> the answer is, we don't know why or how that works. And, and there are things that we come to in the Bible at times where um, it's, it's silent, as they say. There's, there's nothing that we can go on or go from to say that this is why this and this. And, and do you know why that is? It's because God is God. <laughs> and it's like, that is an answer that sometimes is hard for us. But God is a God who is sovereign, and God doesn't owe us an explanation for every single thing that he does. And so we have to rest in what we know of God and know that God is, is, is sovereign, is, is love, and is all those things. But we will see a picture of God here, of his mercy, come through, and, and that's, that's something I want us to look at as well. Some potential things that, that do come up in this, in this, um, this question just to kind of maybe throw some things out there, but there's no, nothing conclusive, is one, perhaps how the census was conducted, okay? There were certain um, <clears throat> instructions the way the census was supposed to be done, and David doesn't appear to have done all of those, so maybe there was something there. Perhaps um, David was putting too much emphasis and hope in the numbers, all right? So in that time, again, you, you, they would do the census to number the men, basically, that were of age that could fight, and so perhaps David was thinking about conquering other nations or doing something more or, 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 or something like that where he was wanting to know exactly where he stood so he could make a decision as far as if he wanted to move forward in battle. As one commentator put it, he says this. He says, perhaps human planning was replacing divine promise. Let me say that again. Human planning potentially was replacing divine promise. And I want us to pause here because I think that that's something that can resonate with all of us, can it? So often, and, and even with everything and just the way the past couple of years have gone, you know, it doesn't matter all of your planning in the world. <laughs> it, when COVID showed up and just the way everything has changed, none of our preparation really helped through all that, did it? It got a hold of all of us in some way, shape, or form. It's changed our lives. And, and that's something just to think about, that when we, again, it's nothing wrong, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with, you know, preparing yourself for the future. But the question is, today, is, is where is your hope in? Who is your hope in? Or what is your hope in? Again, because if our hope is in these things of the earth, these things that we think that we can control, Anything. That's where everything begins to crumble, and that's where we fall into sin. Because, again, where is our heart in all of this? And that's, that's the question, even with David here, is, is the guilt may have come. As, where was David's heart in this process? And was he beginning to shift his focus from God being his supplier, his support, his strength, to that of his kingdom and, and the numbers that he had? And that's where his protection and strength came from. So again, these are just some some thoughts to kind of process, but not not a for sure. But maybe it will help us in understanding a little better. So here we see this picture of of, of David and his his basically the general of all of his armies, his right hand man, comes to him when he does this census, and he brings these questions and he tries to change his his mind, David's mind, and. You know, a question for us today is, is, is who are we listening to? Who is our advisor today? Because Joab, you know, he was coming from a, a, a place of sincerity and he was probably a place of wisdom, but David was set on what he was supposed to do. It didn't make any sense to Joab to do this census and he again tries to reason with David, but David goes forward because his decision had been made. And now we come to, to verse 10, and, and this is something I want us to camp just for a moment on. It's very interesting. And you, when we read scripture, and I, I say this often, but when you read scripture, don't just glance past words that kind of stand out. That something that's in, in a place maybe like I wouldn't have said it that way. Because notice in verse 10, it says it says, But David's heart struck him. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that's probably not a phrase I would normally say. You know, I don't know about you. How, how you process your heart when, when you feel like something is wrong, does it strike you? Um, but that is, that is the term that was used in verse 10. It says, His heart struck him, and after he had numbered the people, so the census was done, and he says to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. And so David is coming to a place of realization of, of sin in his life, right? He's recognizing that a mistake had been made, that he had done something wrong, he's taking ownership. And he goes on and says, it says, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. So David, again, recognizes that he was a sinner. And this term struck, his heart struck him. It's often a military term. Or when you think uh, anybody ever been in a fight where they hit somebody? You don't have to raise your hand, but thanks for those. <laughs> okay, some of you did. So that's good. So I know who to hang out with if, if we ever are in trouble, but... Um, but when you strike somebody, right, you know, that's that's that kind of a, a hit, depending on, I guess, how how hard your strike is. Um, that's how David's heart did to him. It struck him suddenly and it, and it woke him and it, it showed him that he had he had created or committed a great sin. You see, his cry was for God to remove the iniquity that was in his heart. It wasn't just to change the situation that was coming down, was it? Again, let's pause for a minute and think about that. So, so often, and again, in our culture, in our society where we are just comfort-driven, I don't know about you, but I I like comfort. Um, A gentleman pulled up, I think, to park yesterday, and it was a a 1980s uh, Riviera, you know, with a convertible, the seats, like you could have, you know, laid sideways on the back seat, like no problem, just this huge car, and he was just comfortable. And that's how we like life, right? I mean, we want to ride in comfort with the top down, the wind in our hair, some of us less hair. Um, but, you know, just that kind of thing where we're comfortable. And that is kind of the driving force at times, isn't it? When things are not comfortable in our life, we're asking God, God, take away the discomfort when in essence we never actually look at the, the, the heart of our problem or where the sin is in our life because we just want God to alleviate the pain <laughs> not go you know, deep and actually change something in us. Why? Because that's not comfortable. That can be somewhat, uh, it's not an enjoyable experience, right? When somebody, if anybody ever points out a fault in you, has anybody ever had that happen to them? Or maybe you've recognized that in yourself, or maybe the Spirit, Holy Spirit has just kind of, maybe you've gotten this whole thing where you were struck <laughs> and you realize, you know what? This is not good. This thing that is in me. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, I get so frustrated at times with some of the things in my life, because like, I've been there before, right? We make these mistakes. We ask God for forgiveness and we move on. We think it's in our past in the rearview mirror, and then all of a sudden, boom, it shows up again. You're like, I thought I dealt with this. I thought I dealt with this and it was gone, but it still comes back around. But the point here is, is to recognize, and, and with David too, is, is that it's, he's looking at his heart and he realized that there is sin and that he's not happening. He's asking God, God, take this iniquity, remove this iniquity from your servant. And then we see as David is, is repentant and he's saying, God, I've sinned greatly. It is at that point in verse 13 that Gad, the, the prophet, comes to him And it's not to bring David in this case to repentance, notice that. It's not to bring him into repentance, but instead it's a result of his confession and his plea for forgiveness. So it wasn't until he said, God, I've sinned. God, make me right that that the prophet of God came and showed up on the scene. And so again, here's this scene with David asking God, remove this from my heart. And now we see, um, we're gonna move forward and we're gonna see God's wrath come forward but I like how one commentator put it too. It's it's that it, it's it's wrath wrapped in mercy. Wrath wrapped in mercy. And if you're if we're gonna experience wrath, I, I think wrapped in mercy is the way that I want to take that thing. Right. It's like, you know, give me whatever. When we're trying to get something in um, our dog's mouth, you know, and you gotta feed them that pill, and you gotta you know you either stick that thing down their throat, which is not fun, or you just put it in some cheese or something. Right. <laughs> So the bitter pill goes down a lot easier when it's wrapped in the, the cheese. And that's, that's really what we're talking about here with God's his wrath wrapped in mercy. And so, uh, you know, we see this kind of unfold in front of us that here comes God's wrath. And there are three choices given. Anybody here? It looks like you guys are a crowd that probably remembers the show, Let's Make a Deal. Yeah? do you like that show? You know, and what was the big thing in that show, Right? what's behind door number three, or, you know, remember this? And it was always that kind of that secret. You want to make a deal and get this, This what's behind this door or that door? Well, David's offered three doors, three options. And it's kind of like, you know, would you like a slap, a punch, or a kick in the face? You know, it's like none of them are really fun here, okay? And so here it is. They, they, they lay it out. Gad lays it out, and this is, he's like, this is what God is saying. And there's, there's three punishments coming so it's either you can decide from three years of famine, door number one, three months fleeing from your enemies, door number two, or door number three, three days of plague. Anybody want to sign up for any of those? You know, it's like, can I have door four? Is that on the, the agenda here? You know, I remember when my, uh, my parents, I grew up, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm so um, behaved, is because I grew up when my, my parents spanked me, right, with a belt. And I remember, again, I don't know if this was you or you guys did this, but uh, when, when I would get in trouble, my mom or my dad, they would just lean over to me while we were out, and they would say, you're going to get spanked when you get home. That was the worst thing ever, right? It's like, give, me, give it to me now. Let's get it done with. Because then you had to go the rest of the time out, the rest of the day, knowing what was waiting When you got home, right, and that was probably worse than the actual spanking itself. It was, it was knowing that it was coming, and I'm like, you know, can we, can we? And so then I would, I would behave the best you've ever seen. You know, I'm really nice. I was nice to my mom, kind of rubbing her back. How are you doing? And we're friends now. We're good. And everything's good. The relationship's great. You know. And then we would get home, and either her or my dad, they would still drop the hammer. You know. I would still get the spanking, and I was like, I thought we were good. It's like, well, we're good, but there's still a consequence for your your decision and your behavior. And I didn't enjoy that at all. You know, I really was hoping to get out of or to bypass the consequences of my choices, but that wasn't possible because there was, you know, again, there was a consequence. And so here we see that there's three things being offered um, and there are consequences. There is a wrath that is coming that, that has to be experienced, that is not going to be stopped. But through it, we're going to see God's mercy moving. And so, you know, notice David's response in verse 14. It says, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for this, for his mercy is great. Just think about that phrase for a minute. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that you're, you're, the uphill battle or the struggle or the trial, listen to that phrase. And, And let's make it personal. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great. God, whatever may come, let me be found in your hand, resting in your hand, because I know that your mercy is great. And he goes on and he says, but let me not fall into the hand of man. And so we see here that Again, David chooses to fall into the hand of God, meaning he's going to nix that middle one, you know, three months fleeing from his enemies. So it's either the famine or the plague, but he's like, whatever it is, I just want to be in God's hand. And so verse 18, we see that, so the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. And then notice in verse sixty, when the angel stretched out his hand, toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough, now stay your hand. And so the angel, this, this place stopped for a moment. All right? It had not completed its full work yet, but it stops here. And David, again, he's, he's, he's talking to God and he's saying, behold, I sinned, I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, listen to his heart here Again, this is, you know, we talk about a man after God's own heart. Here we see, or we hear, please let your hand against me, and, and be against me and my father's house. He's saying, let me bear this burden. Don't take it out on these people. And so we see God's wrath has stayed for a moment, but it is not satisfied, is it? The wrath would be completed. The, the wrath would have to be done, or there, there has to be a satisfying of this wrath for it to stop. You know, in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we see here that an atonement is still needed here. There is a price to be paid here. And it's not going to be bypassed. And I believe this last part really could, could be one of the reasons why David was said to be a man after God's own heart because he, again, he's saying, Lord, let me bear that. Let me take that on, take it out on me, not the people. And it's a glimpse of, of where his heart was. Even though he made mistakes, his heart was there. And so finally, and this is where I, I want to get us to today, is in verse 18. It says, and, and again, so this is the place where that, the plague had stopped, where the angel had stopped and, and is, is waiting. And so, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, rise, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona and the, the Jebusite. So David went up to Gad as Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arona looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arona went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arona said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And so David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arona said to David, let my lord the king take, off, take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arona gives to the king. And Arona said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arona, and here's where I want, we're gonna sit here for just a minute. Listen to this. He said, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. So here we have this picture again, and, and again, this, this plague has been stopped. Uh, David's told to go out to the place where the plague had stopped, and he's going he's gonna to build an altar to the Lord, right? This is going to be the deal of, of how to, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to come out of this plague that's promised for the rest of the land. And, you know, th- this this gentleman comes out, Arona, and he's, you know, here comes the king. I mean, you think about that for a minute. Arona, Arona runs out. It's like, oh, my goodness, the king is showing up on my doorstep here. <laughs> and so he goes out, and he bows before, you know, King David, and he, he pays him the proper homage and everything else. And then, you know, David's like, this is what I need. And Arona, of course, you know, as probably any of us would do with any kind of a king, like, Take what you need, you know. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and charge you, you know, $9.99 for this and $5.99 for that and, you know, charge the king, all this stuff. You know, you just want to serve the king and, and, wow, I'm honored that you're even here. And so he throws all these things at at, uh, David, King David. And in one sense, there would have been nothing wrong with David just accepting those things, is there? I mean, would there be something wrong with somebody giving him all those things? No, there wouldn't be. I mean, one, he was the king, and he didn't say, hey, Arona, give me all these things, did he? Arona was just like, here, please take these things. You're the king. I want to just, you know, be a blessing to you. Maybe someday I'll need a favor. You know, I don't know what his thought was, but he's just like, here, just take take these. And so again, we see that there was nothing wrong with what had happened, or there would have been nothing wrong with David accepting those things, at least to the common eye. But again, he says this word, or he says this phrase in that he was not willing to bring anything to God that cost him nothing. And I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, when we bring things to God, what do we bring to God besides our problems? (laughs) What do we bring to God? You know, what can we, what can we bring to God? I mean, you know, maybe some of you think our, our, our money, our resources, you know, we can bring as, as an offering. Um, we can bring our, our worship, our praise, you know, either in song. But all, all of that comes from what? Ourselves, right? And so when I, I, I want to ask that question again. So what, what has it cost you to bring your, your worship or to, or to bring yourself to God? Let me rephrase that. Has it cost you anything? <laughs> because if it hasn't, then I would, I would encourage you to, to pause for a moment and say, God, what, what is it that I'm actually bringing? <laughs> because all of us, again, there's, there's um, a way that we live, especially in the Western world here, that's, that's very comfortable. That, again, we go back to that, that car with a convertible, you know, that comfortable car, and we, we live in so much comfort that it even spills into how we, we bring ourselves to the Lord. If, if it costs us something, has it cost us relationships? Has it cost us acceptance with the world? Has it cost us even our finances or our money? You know, if, you know have we chosen to do the right thing when everybody else does the wrong thing and you've been a kind of outcast because of that? What has it cost you? And again, the bigger question, has it cost you something? because we all need to be taking inventory. We all need to be asking this question of what it costs us as we brought ourselves before the Lord. You see, church, too many times, it's not always about what we can do as much as it's about what we should do. It's not so much about what we can do, but it's about what we should do. You know, we are often faced with circumstances, whether, wherever it is, in our jobs, in our homes. You know, there, there are many times that there are many, many options, or maybe a number of options, or maybe a few options, maybe many is too much, but a number of options that are okay. That it's something I can do, that's something that isn't necessarily even bad. You know, the way I, I like to say it is not every good thing is a God thing right? Not every good thing is a God thing. We can do things in our life, or we can do things, you know, around us that aren't necessarily bad things. You know, one of the the biggest challenges we face today is is this, um, with all of the sports stuff going on, right? And we face this with our kids too. Like, Because sports has become this like almost idol in and of itself that, well, my kid's got to be there, you know, three days a week. We're going to be there Saturday and we're going to be there Sunday. So I don't have time for church. I don't have time to gather with believers because I need my kid to be at every single function under the sun, you know. And I know you're quiet right now because I'm stepping on your toes and that's okay. But it's true though, right? Because we have elevated this above the importance of what it is to gather together as the body of Christ. And that is, is not good. Because again, not every good thing is a God thing. And not every, every is, there, is there anything wrong with doing sports? No, there's not. Am I saying it's easy? It's not. You know, we've been fortunate we've not had to have those Sunday things, you know, or those Sunday games. And so, you know, I know it's not easy. But we still have to do what's, what we're called to do and what's right. We can't just go with the flow and, and again, we just passed on the way here. You know, it was funny. We were driving by the big dog park down the road. And we're like, you know, Leanna, she said something like, you know, I wonder what, what it's going to be like, you know, if all those people end up in an eternity separate from God because they wanted to take their dogs to let them play on Sunday morning. <laughs> and it was funny, too, because I'm like, right, we're outside. I mean, this is like the perfect sales pitch right here. You know, it's like, hey, bring your dog here. You can get both. It's the best of both worlds. We'll have the dogs play. You get a little bit of Jesus, and everybody's good. I mean, the dog will even be better. So, the thing is, is, is what do we put emphasis on, and what does it cost us? It's not always convenient. Trust me, I'm, we're a family of six now, new baby, and everything else. Sunday morning service is not convenient for me. Can I tell you that, even as your pastor? I love you. <laughs> But if we had hidden cameras in our house, we could have a TV show like in two seconds. And it would be top of the list because it is truly a slash circus slash entertainment slash whatever you want. It's, it's in there in the mornings on Sundays. No matter how much we plan, I know some of you can witness to this, right? I'm not the only one. Can anybody, please make me feel better. Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. All the planning in the world, right? You can think you have it all worked out. And as soon as Sunday morning it hits, it's just the wheels go south and sideways. Everything comes off and everybody's going in different directions. But we sure pull up here and we come out and we have a smile on our face and say, hi, how are you? God bless you. Isn't today wonderful? (laughs) It's true, though, right? This is is what I love about our congregation. We're real people. But you know what? It's just something for us to really stop and think about. And that's what I hope today you're you're being challenged with. And, you know, as we prepare to to wrap this, this message up today, you know, I want us to always understand, and I want to always bring to the forefront, and that's you know, the reason why we see crosses around our church. We have, if you didn't notice, the big cross on the tree back there, right? What, what is that for? It is to remind us that our salvation, our freedom, if you will, the, 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 what we get to experience, the, the, the removal of God's wrath in the sense of His wrath is there, <laughs> but we don't have to experience the fullness of it because of the price that was paid on that cross through Jesus Christ. And with our lives here, and because of our freedoms here, and what we, our our comfort, you know? And, And I don't want you to feel guilty about being comfortable. I like to be comfortable. But my point is this, is let us never lose sight of the discomfort that came through the cross of Jesus Christ when he was on there. Let us never lose sight of the discomfort that Jesus felt when he was bearing the stripes, when he was being beaten, and when he was dragging the very cross that he would be crucified up to a hill to be set into place and to hang there and die. That's where we get into trouble, and that's where our hearts shift, and that's where we need to be shook a bit, church, is because we need to remember again that our freedom, our our the mercy that we get to experience and, and the, the lack of God's wrath on our lives, we deserve it, but we don't get it because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so let us be reminded of that often. You know, a lot of us like we, again, I, I love, you know, when people have a necklace of a cross and but Everybody wears a cross necklace, right? And I encourage you, if you see that, say, hey, what is, why do you wear the necklace? Or what's that? You know, and just see, see what they say. (laughs) Something like, hey, it was, you know, on sale for $5.99. I like the color and it matches my outfit. Well, hey, let me tell you, you know what? It means a lot more than that. Can I tell you about that? (laughs) Make no mistake, church, that God's mercy is there to save us from what we deserve. But it is the atonement found through Jesus Christ in his death on the cross that halts wrath. And as I've said already, so what is, what is your following Christ costing you today? In Luke chapter 9, 23, probably a very familiar passage for most of us. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. again, deny ourselves what to deny ourselves maybe some of the comforts that that we've learned to enjoy to be reminded that we have a cross to carry and when when the world says you know you what you're crazy you're foolish whatever it is you just shrug and say well i'm in good company because jesus experienced the exact same thing and if the world couldn't recognize the savior of the world when he was standing right in front of them (laughs) they got bigger problems right but we're still called to love, and that's what we do. So are there things in your life today that, that you are doing because you, can, because you can more than you should, all right? And that's the question I want you to take with you today as, as you're driving home and as you're going through, what are the things that I'm doing just because I can, and what are some things that I should be doing because I'm called to do those things? And as things come out, or come at us in this life, no matter how difficult they may seem, and this is an encouragement I want to leave you today with everything that we're facing, that God is present, and we can know that God is a God of mercy, and at any moment, his mercy could just burst onto the scene and be there for us, to comfort us, and to, again, because God loves us. Like I told you, that, that picture, that image of, of wrath being wrapped in mercy, God is merciful. And so please remember that as, you, as you, you go forward. And you're wondering, even as we're facing many of the challenges in life today, and while mercy doesn't pay for sin, God has already taken care of that through the sending of his son, Jesus, to die for you and for me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for this message Lord, I thank you that, um, as your word says, your mercies are new every morning because, Lord, we realize um, we sin every morning (laughs) at best. And, God, we recognize, Lord, that you are always present with us, that you are always pursuing us. God, that you love us so deeply. And, God, as we um, just work through the things and the challenges of this life, Lord God, as we... Just long for, again at times, just for that comfort, Lord. God, would you meet us in that place of need? Would you meet us in that place where we need you just to to really just show up into our circumstance, into our situation? And God, that you would just make yourself real to us. And if you're here in this place or watching online or within the sound of my voice and You want to know what it is to have that assurance, to have that comfort, the comfort that the world cannot offer, to have that peace that passes all understanding. You can experience that today simply by acknowledging who Jesus is and was, that he was sent as the Son of God to earth that he died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day and now is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If you acknowledge him as Lord today, again, we can acknowledge him as Savior and that's a lot of times the easy part, but to, to truly invite him in to be Lord of your life, you can experience that peace. You can experience the comfort that you've been looking for in every other place in the world. And if you pray that prayer today, I know with all my heart that God will meet you there. And if you pray that prayer, I would encourage you just to to come and see myself or or one of the staff. And we'd love to just uh, give you some uh, resources and to help you in your journey as you begin it with God. So, Lord, we again, we just acknowledge you, Lord, today. God, we just sit here for this moment as the the trees we can hear rustling and the breeze blows across, Lord God, and just as the sun shines down, Lord God, we we know that you are looking down here on your creation, on your people, and that, God, you are present here with us. And, Lord, no matter what life may bring, Lord God, we know that you are, are there with us, that you are comforting us, that you are protecting us. And, God, no matter what life may bring, we know that we can truly say, Lord, that it is well with my soul that, that you are with me and that we will face whatever comes together. And God, you will see us through to the other side. So we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?